One of the most powerful churches in the first century was the church at Antioch. The book of Acts uses the church at Antioch as a model for the miraculous, which becomes for us today a pattern for power. The church at Antioch was renowned for its spiritual maturity and for its supernatural sensitivity on how to move into the miraculous. Today, on Day of Destiny, I believe by studying the working of the Word within the church at Antioch, we can learn how. We can reach our highest purpose and potential of power in the spirit that God has ordained for us. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and before we begin today, I want to invite you to join us at our mydayofdestiny.com. Mydayofdestiny.com is our website where you can download all of the messages of this podcast and also you can order my latest book, Secrets of the Anointing, which was featured on the renowned Sid Roth, It's Supernatural program. Beloved saints, I'm so excited that you have joined us today and it is our purpose that you might reach the highest potential of purpose and power that God has ordained for you. Now, let's go to the Word of God. Our spiritual survey of the church at Antioch begins in Acts 11. The church at Antioch was renowned for its spiritual maturity, for its compassion, for its spiritual sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and for its renowned ability to rely and depend on the Holy Spirit for everything. The church at Antioch has become a model for the miraculous, as seen in Acts 11 and in Acts 13. So let's begin our journey today by looking at the Word of God found in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but Jews only. Now, this is the preface before the text begins to document the details that are so profoundly supernatural concerning the church at Antioch. The scripture wants to to excavate the very important key components of its history and background so that we might understand that there is a spiritually substantial foundation that is laid here in the church at Antioch, which has to do with refugee believers who came from Jerusalem, who were scattered in the persecution that came from Stephen and were willing to give up everything for the kingdom to live in the city of Antioch. Let me backtrack it for a moment, beloved saints. The persecution that began at the time of Stephen was a very fierce persecution. And it was led 
by the individual who later became Paul the Apostle, who in the book of Acts, beginning in the seventh chapter, actually, we see uh, uh, Paul's persecution beginning in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. And most of the eighth chapter in the book of Acts is dedicated to the persecution that came through Paul's fierce persecution, late at beginning his name was Saul, uh, fierce persecution of the church that was at Jerusalem. The scripture says, and Saul consenting to his death, whose death? The death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is why the persecution intensifies. And we see now that they not only scattered to uh, from Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria, but now in Acts chapter 11, that persecution has spread the saints of God as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, Syria, which is actually 300 miles away from Jerusalem itself. Now, before we begin, I want you to see what kind of price was paid by the believers in the early church that were willing to pay the price to give up everything for the sake of Jesus. I want you to see that this persecution is not only the the perils of persecution itself, but God wants us to understand what's really at stake here. The believers made a decision that they could not stay in Jerusalem. It was way too dangerous for any believers to stay in Jerusalem. So being uprooted, they did not have cars. They did not, as far as we know, have jobs that were already lined up in Syria, in Phoenice, in Cyprus, and in the various places where they were scattered. They took everything. They took their children. And we do not even know if their entire families went with them. The scripture does not tell us. So we can safely assume that there were believers who had unbelievers that could have been in their families, such as brothers and sisters, who they will never see again because of the persecution, being willing to give up everything for the gospel. This is why Jesus said, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What does Jesus Jesus mean by this? He doesn't mean that we are to hate our family members, but it does mean that in the context of phileo, because that's the word that Jesus uses, not agape, but phileo in the text where he says, he that loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. Meaning that the person that we're the most fond of, the person that we love the most in this world, the person that we have the most affection for is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And sometimes, beloved, that affection, that love, that dedication, that commitment is going to cost us something. 
So we see that the believers in the early church were willing to go through tremendous inconvenience to trust God and live in the city of Antioch. Why is this an important key component to what we're about to share concerning the spiritual maturity and the model for the miraculous that we see here in the church at Antioch? What why is this so important and such a key component? Because this is the very context by which the scripture lays out for us. Remember, if we are going to use proper biblical hermeneutics, we must uh, be able to interpret the scripture in context. And because the narrative that is going to relate to us these unbelievable supernatural events that are about to take place in the church at Antioch, we must see that the scripture is laying for us this foundation of this tremendous price that was paid by the believers themselves by just migrating to Antioch to be there for the sake of the gospel because of the persecution and the great number of believers that were scattered from Jerusalem going through the willingness of being willing to be resettled, reestablishing their lives, reestablishing their families in a city, in a country that is basically, uh, of course, they're going to be with a community of Jewish believers, but it is a complete different culture than what they are accustomed to in Jerusalem. Now, let's continue in context and let us see the Bible is telling us that, verse 22, then the tidings of these things came into the, urge, uh, the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. Uh, let's backtrack. The hand of the Lord was with them, but in great numbers of them that believed, and they turned to the Lord. And the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now, what has happened as a result of this unbelievable uh, price that is paid by the believers? God is bringing a revival of souls and the revival is so great that it reaches the ears of the church that is at Jerusalem, which is actually the headquarters of Christianity at the time. And they send Barnabas. Now, it's very important for us to note that Barnabas also is a man of great renown in the early church. He is known, first of all, in the book of Acts in the fourth chapter, as the anointing of Koinonia was so strong in the early church. Let's backtrack so we can see the background of Barnabas so that we will understand all of the very key components for the substance of the supernatural that I'm about to share with you that is about to take place in this model for the miraculous at the church of Antioch. Let's look here at Acts chapter 4. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 verse 32 so that we might understand why they sent Barnabas. The Bible says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. This is the action of phileos in the body of Christ because the action of agape in the body of Christ is the self-sacrificing 
attributes of love in the body of Christ. However, the attributes of phileos uh, work a little differently. Phileos and agape are not the same attribute. However, both of these together help us understand the love of God and the love that should be operating in the church. We see that phileos is used over and over again when describing the actions of the church in the book of Acts. We also see that phileos is used all throughout Paul's letters, and we also see that agape is used, but these are not the same. Agape has the attribute of self-sacrificing love, and it gives love based on the fact that it's nature to give. It wants to give. It's it's compelled to give. It is the compassion of giving, but it does not give in order to receive. Whereas the attribute of phileos is the action of both giving and receiving. The action of phileos is, this is why Paul says, having the same love. What does that mean when he says having the same love in Philippians chapter two? He is speaking about the reciprocation of love, that it must flow in the body of Christ, that it must not just be a one-way street. That's why we must understand that the attribute of phileos is how this incredible charism of koinonia was operating in the early church, that they held all things in common. Notice what the Bible says here in Acts chapter 4. Neither said any of them that ought of the things that he possessed was his own, but they held all things in common. This word common is koinonia. So this means that koinonia is not just going out to Denny's for dinner, that that could be an aspect of koinonia, but the New Testament version of koinonia is holding all things in common. This means every person in the body of Christ compelled by the phileos that's operating in the body of Christ, every member caring for itself and edifying itself in love. Here we see that because of the phileos operating in the body of Christ, the anointing of dunamis, the great power of God was given to the apostles. The Bible says, and with great power, the uh, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection and great grace was upon them all. Notice verse 34. Neither was there any of them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to every man. Here we see Koinonia again. Distribution was made to every man as he had need. Now, I want us to understand what is actually happening here. This is not just some act of goodwill. This is a work of the Spirit, an action of phileos that is operating in the body of Christ that becomes a tremendous gift. And through this operation of both agape and phileos, we see the love of God shed abroad in the hearts by the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost being the operating power through love that all the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate. This is why the action of phileos and agape was so powerful in the early church, because it was the very fuel that 
uh, fired the koinonia in the church, which became the overall characteristic and charism of how the gifts of the Holy Spirit operated in the early church. Now, the Bible tells us that they, as many as were possessors of lands and houses, sold the uh, sold those properties, those pieces of real estate, sold them and brought the price of the land and the houses to the apostles and laid it at their feet. So we must also get rid of any kind of unscriptural background concerning the early church and their dedication to supporting the work of God. We must see that the early church is actually a model for the agape and for self-sacrifice and for working together and for phileos, working in the church. Now, let us see this one individual who is singled out among all the brethren who are operating in this koinonia, in this uh, characteristic and charism of koinonia in the church, whose name is Barnabas. The Bible says, and Hoses, who is by the apostles surnamed Barnabas, which is interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite from the country of Cyprus, having sold it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see that already that Barnabas was renowned for his selfless life. He was renowned for his giving, for the joy of the Lord, for being a brother that really instigated the phileos in in terms of one person doing that action of such an act of self-sacrifice, released it on the entire body. And the whole entire body began to edify itself in love through loving one another, not just in word only, but in deed and in truth, through supporting and through sacrificing and through bearing one another's burdens. And through this action of koinonia, where every joint was supplying and the gifts of the spirit were in full operation through the church in that manner. And this is why the book of Acts, when it begins its narrative concerning the church at Antioch, begins with the narrative teaching us about the apostles sending Barnabas on its mission, on his mission to Antioch. Um, the Bible continues in verse 23 of Acts 11 saying, who, when he came, had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted all of them with the purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith. And much people were added to the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for seek, to seek for Saul. Now we are going to see the seeds of the supernatural. We are going to see this unbelievable manifestation of the miraculous and this model for the miraculous when Barnabas returns with Saul. We are going to see 
the workings of prophecy, the attributes of prophecy. We are going to see the attributes of the prophet and prophecy operating here in the church at Antioch. This was the background uh, of the church at Antioch, knowing that the teachers are well qualified, not just in their giftings that were prophetic, but their giftings that were prophetic were qualified by the credentials of the love that has already been proven. And also we see the characteristics of humility and obedience. We see that Barnabas, although he was a leader in his own right, and though he had this reputation, renowned for honor among the apostles, is so humble that he takes the orders from the council in Jerusalem and goes to Antioch. We see that he also takes the initiative once he gets there and sees the revival happening, that he goes to seek for Saul. We see this humility that he doesn't want to carry it all on himself. He want, he is a brother that operates in that anointing of koinonia. It's not all about me program. We don't see somebody who is seeking the spotlight. We are seeing somebody who is looking for the edification of the body and wants the body edified, therefore is going about looking for those qualified persons. And we are seeing that scripture has actually given us a resume, given us the credentials of the call of God on the life of Barnabas by saying, this is Barnabas. This is the one that we see in the book of Acts in the fourth chapter who sold his property, sold his land for the edification of the body. And now once he arrives in Antioch, he is going to depart so that he is able to seek for Saul. He goes all the way to Tarsus to seek for Saul so that he can bring back Saul. This is the background for what we are about to read. You see, beloved, when we read the word of God, we don't just jump into a scripture. It's very important that we get the backstory. It's very important that we get the full picture, that we don't just see the the narrative and read it like a newspaper, that we don't read the Bible like a newspaper, but that we receive instruction from every biblical narrative that the Bible is showing us. Now, Continuing in the context, we see verse 26 that we are going to see how this miraculous manifestation and how the model for the miraculous is going to take place in the church at Antioch. Let's look at the word of God. I'm going to read for you three verses of scripture that are extremely, highly, and very important so that we might understand how the New Testament church operated. Let's look at the word of God. The Bible says, then departed Barnabas for uh, to Tarsus to seek for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass after they assembled themselves with the church, they taught much people. And the Bible says, let's look at this word again. And it came to pass that when he found him, he brought him to, uh, to Antioch. And that a whole year... They assembled themselves with the church and taught 
much people. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. If we evaluate Acts chapter 11, that Barnabas and Saul taught the people at Antioch for an entire year. Notice the details because we always get a prophetic message from the word of God through the details of the narrative. It's not just the only through the general uh, the general consensus that we read and extract from the narrative. We must see that when the Bible goes out of its way to give us details, that these details and descriptions that the scripture are giving to us are extremely relevant. And here we see that the Bible is telling us that Barnabas and Saul taught the church at Antioch for an entire year. This means that 365 days a year, the the church at Antioch was in church. This means that every single day, the saints gathered themselves together, uh, not just once a week, not just over a duration of time, but we can see that this church that was a persecuted church, this church that had to believe God for the impossible, the believers that lived in Antioch who had given up everything for the kingdom, were going to receive supernatural strength. No, not just from uh, the outward exterior of Christianity, but they are going to receive strength from the working of the word within them. We are going to see how the making of the model for the miraculous came through the word that was delivered through Saul and Barnabas every single day, 365 days a year, pouring into the church at Antioch. Now, beloved saints, we also see that the Bible tells us in, in the book of Acts, the 13th chapter in the first verse. Now there were at the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now I want you to understand that there is spiritual significance here because we see a revival, but we are going to see a revival that is based on the word of God. This is not a revival that is based on emotion. This is not a revival that's going to be based on sensationalism. And there is a reason why the word had to be ministered to every single night because God is a about to send prophets from uh, Jerusalem into the church at Antioch to prophesy a word that is going to be so powerful that it is going to literally preserve the people of God in the Middle East that belong to Christ through this prophecy. I want you to see the power of prophecy and the attributes of the prophets that are shown to us in the book of Acts. And I want us to see that they did not not prophesy out of their own spirit. They did not prophesy out of their emotions. They did not prophesy out of the trend. They prophesied out of the word that was deposited in them through the two incredible biblical expositors being Barnabas and Saul. And this is why God chose the church at Antioch to be the receptacle of the prophecy of Agabus. You see the prophecy of Agabus was one 
one of the most important, powerful, potent prophecies that is given for us to us in the book of Acts. It is there not so we know it happened. The prophecy of Agabus is actually a model for the miraculous. I want you to understand the spiritual implications here. Number one, we are going to see that the Lord is going to send prophets from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And God is not about to send prophets with a word like the word that was inside of Agabus the prophet to an immature body. You see, there are words that God wants to deliver right now to the church, but we're not ready for it. There are words that God wants to deliver to specific congregations. But if those congregations are not spiritually mature enough to judge the word that's going forth. Now, I want you to understand what we mean by judging prophecy. I'm not talking to you about seeing is this of God or not. Obviously, let us look at that as obviously one of the definite characteristics of uh, interpreting prophecy that we need to judge it. But one of the ways we interpret prophecy is how we implement that word into our daily living. It's not to entertain us. It's not to get a sensational thrill. The prophecy that was about to be given was so critical that the life of the entire church depended on it. And this is why the church at Antioch had to be prepared for the prophecy of Agabus. And the way it was prepared for the prophecy of Agabus was through Saul and Barnabas teaching the word day in and day out for 365 days. So the atmosphere was already a spiritually mature atmosphere, a hungry atmosphere, an atmosphere of saints and believers who had paid the price to be believers. They had given up everything for the kingdom of God in the persecution of Stephen. They were scattered. This is a body of believers that was sold out to God so that the Holy Spirit could fully trust them with a level of prophecy such as the prophecy of Agabus. Let's look at the word of God. Looking at the word, the Bible says in verse 27, and in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, that signified by the spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples decided by every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt at Judea, which they did and sent to the elders by the hands of Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. Now, saints, let's look at this. We're looking at verse 28. Then there stood up one by the name of Agabus, which signified by the spirit that there should be a dearth throughout the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. First of all, let us verify the fact that there were four famines in the days of Claudius Caesar, that the church at Antioch had no way in the natural, neither did Agabus by any means, any way, shape, or form have the ability to get a quote unquote heads up that there's going to be a famine outside of the Holy Spirit. You see, 
There are several references in Roman history and in the annals of those who were hired by the Roman Empire to record history. We see that Tactius uh, records in his annals of uh, the 11th chapter and the 4th verse. And we also see Suetonius in the life of Claudius. Uh, we're going to see that there indeed were famines during the time of Claudius Caesar. We're going to see that they were spread about in his reign. The reign of Claudius Caesar uh, was during the time of 41 AD to 54 AD. Therefore, that puts us in the exact time frame that uh, the prophecy came from Agabus. Now, one of the most powerful records that we have is recorded by Suetonius in his book, The Life of Claudius Caesar. He records that a certain Queen Helena from Ad Ab Abilene, which was in the modern country of Iraq today. She was from the place of Erbil, Iraq, who was actually a queen who was a convert to Judaism. She converted in 30 AD. That this particular queen, because she was a convert to Judaism, during the time of the famine, one of the famines, which is recorded by Suetonius as the first famine during the time of Claudius Caesar, that it was actually centered in Jerusalem. And that Queen Helena of Abilene actually uh, sent ships to Greece and to Cyprus to purchase food, that food for the victims of the famine had to be purchased outside the land of Israel in order for those people to be able to live because the famine was so great. Now, beloved saints, we also see that Tactius uh, also records this, and we see that Suetonius tells us that the reason for the famine was that there was a scarcity of crops due to the fact that there were bad harvests. We also see this by Araosius and other particular historians, such as Flavius Josephus, who also verifies the fact that there were great, uh, there was great great distress and Josephus tells, you, tells us that the famine itself was a three-year period and that there were many, many deaths. Now, I want you to know, saints of God, we need to get a clue here of what is actually happening. Before this famine hit, the man of God, Agabus, already had the download from the Holy Spirit, but he could not deliver that word to the church at Jerusalem. Why? Because the church at Jerusalem was now scattered. This is why the context is so important for us to read. This is why we can't just pick and choose verses of scripture and try to interpret it. That the context beginning in Acts chapter 11, where this incredible prophecy is going to be delivered by Agabus, that the scripture begins by telling us the saints of God that were scattered. So it actually tells us why the prophecy could not be delivered in the church at Jerusalem. There was not enough spiritual substance because of the church scattering, that it had to be in a place where the anointing was able to contain the essence of that prophecy 
prophecy through hearing the word day in and day out through the preaching of Saul and Barnabas. That is why it is one thing to hear the prophecy of Agabus, but it is another thing to put it into action. Had not the believers in the church at Antioch been able to properly assess the prophecy, what would have happened to the believers at the church at Jerusalem? They would have perished. Why? Because the famine was so great. So because of the anointing, and I want you to understand Barnabas is carrying a tremendous anointing. He is carrying the anointing of Koinonia. He is carrying this anointing that begins in the book of Acts in the fourth chapter by selling his property and selling his lands and laying it at the apostles' feet. He is coming up from Jerusalem where there is this incredible action of Koinonia among the saints. And because of the, the persecution that has recently increased, they're scattering everywhere. But we see that the believers, even though they're scattered, they're still working together as a unit. That koinonia that was established in the first few years of the Christian church has now continued to replicate itself in other bodies of believers so that we see that it is the koinonia of loving one another unto death. And it is this phileos in the body of Christ that causes the action of the church to respond once they hear Agabus, who was sent from Jerusalem 300 miles away on a journey to deliver this word to Antioch and to the believers at Antioch. The believers at Antioch put together their sources and on a continual basis continue to collect. Now, I want you to understand this is not any just flimsy little collection. We did our duty type of thing. No, the Holy Spirit gave warning. There's a famine coming. And in biblical times when there was a famine, this was something fierce. And as Josephus records, it caused much distress and many deaths. We see that it was so severe that Queen um, Helena of Abilene sends her ships to Greece and to Cyprus to buy food and to buy shipments of figs from Cyprus to feed the people of Jerusalem. We are seeing that if the church at Antioch did not receive this prophecy properly and learn how, uh, one, well, how the church must be in total compliance and have total reliance on the Holy Ghost, knowing that the Holy Ghost is going to lead us in these last days. This is definitely a model for the miraculous. So we see, beloved saints, how this church at Antioch became a model for the miraculous. And beloved saints, I believe that God wants to give the church today, the same anointing that was in the book of Acts. You see, beloved saints, we want all the gifts of the spirit in the book of Acts, but we leave one little itty bitty component that happens to be one of the most key components, and that is koinonia. And that is that we must love one another, allow the phileos to operate in the body of Christ through giving and receiving. This is why the attributes 
This is why the attributes of agape are so important for the church and the attributes of phileos. But let me just share with you the attributes of agape. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, if there be any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of agape. That means paraclesis. This word comfort, paraclesis, we need to come to each other's aid. That's exactly what the church at Antioch did. They came to the aid. They acted as uh, they acted in the action of paraclesis. They came to the comfort. They came to the aid. This is why the Bible says, if there be any comfort of agape, and the scripture says, Hallelujah. Not only comfort of agape, but if there be any fellowship of the spirit, the Bible also says any comfort of love, any consolation of the spirit. The Bible is telling us this word consolation is the word, dear saints of God. This word consolation is a word that is only used one time in the New Testament, and it is the word paramuthion. And we must understand that it literally means to use words of encouragement, to use words that are going to edify and build up. If there be any uh, bowels and mercies, any fellowship of the spirit, that's the koinonia of the spirit. Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being in one mind, in one accord. One accord in one mind. Being like-minded is the action of phileos in the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, today we give you praise and we give you glory. Lord, we ask you for this incredible a powerful prophecy of Agabus in the early church. Lord God, we ask that today you would trust many churches to be the receptacle of words that you want to give to the church to strengthen their church for end times. Lord, we receive the anointing to take action, but Lord, we thank you that there will be a balance that is, that is demonstrated through the agape, through the phileos, through the self-sacrificing love one to another, through the attributes of agape that we will see in the body of Christ, such as demonstrated in the life of Barnabas, in his humility, in his obedience, in his willingness to give everything for another, through the willingness of lay his, laying his life down for his friends. Lord, we give you praise and we give you glory. And we ask you, Lord, that where there is a deficiency in the anointing, where there is a deficiency of the attributes of the anointing, of phileos, of agape love, of the body edifying itself in love through the gifts of the spirit being brought to their pinnacle of purpose and power. We ask you, Lord, to release it now in the church. We ask you, Lord, right now that the power of God would be released. Lord, we thank you for the outpouring of the spirit upon us in Jesus' name and everyone said amen and amen beloved i do believe that there are many of you that are going to begin to start operating in the gifts of the holy spirit and that god wants to spiritually mature and strengthen you through the hearing of god's word i invite you to go to our website to download many 
many of our teachings on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the anointing uh, operates in the life of the believer. And you can do that by going to mydayofdestiny.com. We invite you to download our previous messages, listen to them online, and you can also order a copy of my latest book, And we also invite you to be part of this worldwide ministry in giving to our brothers and sisters around the world, our impoverished brethren that are suffering in persecuted lands such as Pakistan, India, and the church around the world in Uganda, helping the poorest of the poor, helping our brothers and sisters that live, that are orphans, educating children who need to be educating, daily feeding programs, and many other works that are spoken of in Matthew chapter 25 that we pray are a blessing for you. You can double your dividend by being part with us. You can go to our website, breathofthespirit.org. And when you go to breathofthespirit.org, you can donate to one of our multiple Hesed projects. You can do this also by texting to give. You can text today. Text Hesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, and text it to 77977. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you very soon.